listening to Drawn to the Flame, a podcast for fans of Arkham Horror the Card Game. I'm your host Vicky and this is my first look of Shattered Eons, the sixth mythos pack of the Forgotten Age cycle. Okay, so the first card is Kerosene. So it looks like it kills big octopuses with lots of flames. So if you've got a barrage of octopi, then this is the card for you. Second one, Flamethrower, which I'm guessing throws flames. So it's one ammo, whatever that is. Oh, sorry, that's a lie. It's four ammo. I can't read. And yeah, so good for killing stuff. And this is a maze. Uh, Vantage point it's called. So I'm guessing that you can use it if you want to get people lost in a maze or give them something to do on a Sunday afternoon. And the final one, oh God. Fact, I can't even, something manuscripts. (laughs) Who puts a P and an N next to each other? I have no idea what that means. Mind-expanding ideas. Looks like runes. Something to do with witchcraft. Fa- is this the last one? No. No. There's, there's okay, more. there's quite a few more. <laughs> Borrowed time. Oh, maybe this is like the time stone in... Uh, I've forgotten. Marvel, that's it. Or not. It's something to do with the ritual. It looks like a sparkly jewel. All in. Maybe, I don't know. There's a guy on top of a van. He looks like he's about to kind of kill some people. And this one is Shards of the World, which looks very much like it's for a magician. So this is a magician card, and you can use it to put spells on people, as far as I can tell. Sea of the Seventh Sign. This is quite cool. It looks kind of like a shattered mirror with like lots of eyes in it. I'm guessing it's for some sort of spell if you want to trap people in mirrors. Oh, and this looks a bit like Billie Jean King. It's like a tennis player card. Impromptu Barrier. Yeah. This is the last one. Alter Fate. Alter. I can't can't speak. The tower. It looks like some sort of card or a magic carpet from Aladdin. Yeah. So it's for flying around on a magic carpet, from what I can tell from the picture. Thanks for listening. I'm sure that I've described these cards accurately um, as to what you can do with them in the game. So, yeah, thanks. Hello. Well, that was brilliant, wasn't it? I'm your other host, Frank, but... Thanks so much to Vicky for coming and giving us a, a end of cycle treat. And I really enjoyed that. And I'm going to be giggling about it for a while yet. So this isn't really a first look from me. It's a second look because Vicky's already looked. But hopefully I can also do these cards justice. I think it's a 10 card pack. I've obviously heard the names of the cards from what Vicky said then. And... I don't know if there's much more to say, really. I've sort of done no predicting or anything. I've been so busy with things outside of Arkham and with other Arkham-related things that you'll hopefully hear about very soon that, as a result, I've sort of not really reflected on this pack too much. I had a really great time in Depths of Yoth. I think it's a really cool scenario. So I'm just really excited for the finale of this campaign. I've got an Ursula going into it. I've got a Silas going into it, sort of ready to go. And yeah, let's just let's just see what the cards have in store for us, eh? Okay, the first card is Blimey, Kerosene. Okay, this is a three-cost Guardian asset for one XP, uh, which is all right. It has a willpower icon. It's item-traded. Uses three supplies. If kerosene has no supplies, discard it. Action. If an enemy was defeated at this location this round, exhaust kerosene and spend one supply. Heal up to two horror from among investigators and ally assets at your location. Oh my word. 
That was not what I was expecting Kerosene to do at all. So Kerosene's a healing card. I thought about first aid when it said about supplies. So you kill an enemy, doesn't have to be elite, which is nice, and then you spend an action to heal two horror, and for three cost you can heal six horror. And nicely, it's sort of flexible, right? You can heal the horror among investigators, so you could use it to heal that other person that's close to death. Or you can also heal allies, so you can take that horror that you've been putting on your beat cop off, which is kind of cool. And if you're Carolyn, whoever you heal gets resources as well, so you pay three for this to give out six resources, which is kind of a cool deal. Okay, wow. What's the downside? The cost, maybe? Three cost is somewhat expensive. The fact that you need to kill an enemy... I suppose. I mean, even with Ventura, right, you can be topping this up. Ventura can turn supplies into ammo or supplies, is that right? Yeah, you can top up flashlights. Okay, bananas. That's lovely. You you barbecue the thing you've killed and everyone feels a little bit more relaxed. I like that. I failed to mention when Thermos came out in the previous pack about how useful healing horror is off mystics who have used arcane research and have already got trauma, mental trauma. And so it would be a massive failing if I failed to do that with this as well. So you could put Kerosene down as the Guardian. Agnes is going crazy and pinging enemies, taking horror. And you can just keep healing her. You can heal her six horror potentially with this. Obviously, she can't do the hearing, healing. The Guardian has to do the healing. But maybe if you're running Carolyn, who has is investigating but has spare actions for support, that would work well. Yeah, I like that. That's pretty nice. Yorick can replay it as well. It's kind of nice. Get it down and play with Ever Vigilant. Seems decent. Put it in your backpack. Yeah. Okay. Cool. Doesn't take up a hand slot or anything. So that's sort of nice. Oh my word. The next card takes up a body slot and a double hand slot. That's our first ever card that takes up more than one type of slot, I think. And this is Flamethrower. Oh my word. Carrying on the theme of Guardians getting beefy weapons in final packs. Like Lightning Gun. Right, this is a 4 cost, 5 XP Guardian asset. Double combat and single wild icons. So big spread of icons. Item, weapon and firearm traded. And it uses 4 ammo. So that's okay. Spend one ammo, fight. Take a deep breath here, this is quite a long text. The enemy chosen for this attack must be the enemy engaged with you with the highest fight. You get plus four combat for this attack, nearly as good as lightning gun. If this attack is successful, instead of its standard damage, you may assign up to four damage among enemies engaged with you. Any additional damage adds to this total. (sighs) Processing. I attack, I'm engaged with two enemies, I get plus four combat, and I do four damage, four damage automatically from that. And I could do three to the the tougher enemy and one to the leftover enemy. Or if I've chucked in a vicious blow and I'm doing five damage total, I could do two to the leftover enemy and three to my main one, or I could spread it out. Super useful against when you're swarmed. Super useful if none of the enemies you're engaged with are the highest fight enemy, although if you're getting a plus four combat boost, even a pretty high fight, a four or five fight enemy is not looking too terrifying. Yeah, who has the spare body slot and double hands? I mean, it's sort of crying out for a build that's 
only flamethrower and you maybe maybe you do stick to the plan contraband stick to the plan extra ammo play venturers as leo and you're just flamethrower leo scorching things it makes me think about weirdly enough one of the things that the whisper in darkness who's also the man from Leng. The channel is The Whisper in Darkness, he's the man from Leng. Mentioned a few times, not even in this cycle, in the Carcosa cycle, we saw cards like Trench Knife, I'll See You in Hell, cards that were all about dealing with swarms. And one of the theories that some people had, I was definitely someone who adhered to this theory, was that Forgotten Age would be a swarm campaign there'd be loads of enemies maybe little enemies and you'd want to be sort of knocking them all down and then of course forgotten age began and a lot of the enemies have vengeance and not killing them is better and a lot of the enemies have three health thinking of brotherhood cultist or uh, broods of yig and then there's the five health enemy as well the serpent from yoth so they have sort of these uncomfortable health and they really don't swarm you in the way that i thought we'd see and I still think if we see a Shub-Nagurath cycle, there might be lots of very tiny enemies because she's the the mother of a thousand young Shub and this whole idea of kind of fertile explosions of growth and kind of overgrowth could be a thing we'd see. And then those cards that are really geared towards either taking out a swarm of enemies or the flamethrower firing an attack and maybe managing to do a double or nothing with it and doing eight damage is that right if the stack's successful instead of its standard damage you may assign up to four damage among enemies engaged with you yeah you may assign up to eight damage among enemies engaged with you i think that's right so you just sort of spray fire everywhere and kill things i love it really cool super thematic like dripping with flavor can't quite get my head around whether that's actually a good exchange but i think that's quite nice the four ammo for four cost is pretty reasonable i would say it's six cost for lightning gun and you only get three ammo so yeah that's pretty decent for a similar five xp weapon okay and that's guardians done the first seeker card we know it was in the announcement this is vantage point it's a one cost event intellect and agility icons insight traded as all seeker events are fast Play after a location enters play or is revealed during an investigator's turn. Until the end of the active investigator's turn, that location gets minus one shroud. You may move one clue to that location from any other location. So I looked at this card again this morning because I was looking at when the pack was announced way back three months ago to remind myself of what cards we'd seen in the announcement. And... Just as a little side point, I wonder if we'll see Daryl Simmons, his name is, as the Seeker in the next pack. Because this could be a card, this is a sort of photography taking a vantage point card. But this also feels like an Ursula card. She likes to explore, she likes to go gandering and finding things. And obviously it pays off explore when a location enters play, or when you move into a location, that's revealing a location as well. So that's nice. When would you actually use the thing though? That's the question. When would I want to pay one cost and a card to reduce a shroud by one? Let's ignore that second clause for a moment. If I was a bit of a supporty seeker like, say, Min, maybe, I like the idea of playing this when another investigator is moving into a location and it dropping the shroud for that investigator either means that they can get clues very easily, say it drops the shroud from one to zero and it's a surefire thing, or drops the shroud from three to two and they have a flashlight, something that just gives them a chance to probably investigate at least twice 
and nearly get clues. So I, I think that's fine. And the the kind of crucial time you want to do that is in Lost in Time and Space when you all need clues to resign. So I can see how it could find its way in in that regard, but it's pretty edge case. The other sort of more broad application is if you're just messing around as a seeker and you just want more ways of reliably getting clues. So say you're Rex and dropping the shroud of a location from three to two means that the likelihood of you succeeding by two goes up a decent amount. If it works out that it goes up by, say, three tokens in the bag, paying one and a card to eliminate three tokens for two tests is a pretty fair exchange if you were going to have to commit two cards to each, one to each test to get the similar return. That's that's sort of fine as well. But then where it gets even more complicated and I think a little bit stronger as a card is this second clause. You may move one clue to that location from any other location. So Miskatonic University, four shroud, you've got one of the clues off it and then a locked doors come out in Threads of Fate and you can't get that clue unless you can pass the test or have other ways of doing it. Suddenly you can pull a clue off a VP location onto a location with lower shroud, the shroud of which you've actually just lowered as well, and scoop that clue up if clues are what you need. That starts, to me, to become a really interesting way of manipulating clues. Or you're Rex and you've just moved into a one-clue location and you pull a second clue over to it and get two clues with your ability. Things like that where you play off being able to manipulate where clues are. And that's like before we even get into bringing a clue over, which means inquiring mind can trigger because suddenly there's a clue on your location and there might not have been before then. Or bringing a clue over and you're Roland and an enemy spawns at that location and suddenly you've got a clue. You can use this card and resource to pull a clue to make the most out of your ability. So that, to me, is pretty useful. I can see that actually having more applications than are immediately apparent. And I'm really looking forward to seeing what other things people discover basically, with it. I think it's flexible and I think it will reward clever play and there'll probably be as many times that people can think of where that isn't the case, where, you know, say in Essex, you can't move on from your location until you've got all the clues on it. You can't advance down the train anyway. So in that instance, a card like this, it's useful when you go into a carriage and drop the shroud and everyone rushes to get clues. But if you're wanting to do anything cunning about pulling a clue with you, that's you're never going to be able to do that because you have to have got the clues already. You get my point. I think it's interesting, and let's see if we get Daryl next campaign. The next card is Pnarcotic Manuscripts. That is the manuscripts from Pnarcotus, which is the City of Archives. Subtitle, Mind Expanding Ideas. I love these manuscripts. They look so good. They are hieroglyphs. This is a 5-cost, 5xp seeker asset, which is, yeah, pretty batty, and it has intellect and wild icons it's item relic and tome traded so daisy gets a free action for it ellie can hunt for it ursula vaguely likes it and it uses three secrets so truth and fiction maybe wants to key off it it takes up a hand slot two pieces of text first is a response when an investigator at your location would perform a skill test during a revelation effect spend one secret do not reveal chaos tokens for that test Oh, and then an action, spend one secret, choose an investigator at your location, do not reveal chaos tokens for the next skill test that investigator performs this round. Wow, incredible. It's two different will to survives, 
but only for a single test. One for a treachery, I'm imagining, because normally the revelation effects are going to be drawing a treachery which has a revelation effect. Or maybe if we ever get basic weaknesses that have revelation effects, spend a secrets so you can essentially pass, which is wicked. And then also Daisy getting three tome actions to spend secrets and give people free tests is pretty awesome. I know what people are going to say, but you have to have spent this action and know which investigator you want to take what their test is going to be for the next test. Because it says, choose an investigator at your location. Do not reveal chaos tokens for the next skill test. That investigator performs this round. And that that's too constricting. I think canny players will work around that without any problems at all and will make the most of it. In much the same way that Premonition is a great card when you have options in your hand, you play Premonition and you know, like, okay, great, I've drawn Tentacle, so that means I'm not going to move in and fight with this big enemy. I'm going to take an Investigate or something else where drawing a Tentacle is not the end of the world. Or I'm going to trigger an attack and use the tent- like, whatever it is. I was going to say use Hypnotic Gaze, and I was stopping myself because I never used that card. And it was... I was being un- untrue, unfair. Anyway, so with this, you've got your Guardian geared up to go and fight. Daisy uses her Tome action to spend a secret, choosing that, that Investigator, the geared-up Guardian... And they know that if on their turn, if they're able to, they step into the room, the big enemy engages them, they throw everything into it, the double or nothing, everything else, and they know that there's not going to be a chaos token for that skill test. I think that's fantastic. The chaos bag is one of the primary ways that the scenario can interact with us and disrupt our best laid plans. So investing 5 XP, which is hefty, but for a chance for 3 times when you say to the chaos bag nope you don't get to disrupt my plans love it smashing the next card is borrowed time this is a one cost rogue asset three xp but it's exceptional so six willpower and agility icons and it's ritual traded action place one resource on borrowed time as a click to a maximum of three clicks on borrowed time does not provoke attacks of opportunity forced When your turn begins, remove all clicks from borrowed time. You may take that many additional actions this turn. Takes up an arcane slot. I've had a bit of time to think about this, and I talked about it a bit with Peter, and I love this card. I think it's amazing. But we both got a little bit confused when we were first talking about it, because the the important thing to note is it's forced. So if on turn one I play borrowed time and then spend my next two actions to put two clicks on borrowed time, The following turn, I have my normal three actions and I get two more from those two clicks and the forced effect fires, irrespective of if I want those clicks or not. It's not about banking the actions for when I want them. I'm just definitely getting them. So the following turn, I have five actions. And that's fine if I could then spend a couple of those actions investing in borrowed time again. But if I don't, then I've spent some time to give myself extra actions. And maybe I've had a power turn, or maybe I haven't. But I suppose what I'm trying to say is there's going to be an ebb and flow to how borrowed time works. And certain investigators are going to lean into it more than others. So for instance, skids, because you can pay two to get an extra action, which could be another action the following turn if you want it to be with borrowed time, he might like this. And he might be taking the kind of actions where you just want lots of swings. So potentially he's shooting with the Chicago typewriter and he wants a turn where he suddenly has seven actions to spend for Chicago typewriter boosts and guaranteeing these sort of crazy hits. Or maybe he's also fighting with a switchblade and he just wants 
lots of actions to try and kill enemies, chop, 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 which is really nice too. In those cases, on all of the turns that he doesn't need all of the actions, he then just banks the rest of them on borrowed time. And that's fine. I mean, the fact that as well it doesn't provoke attacks of opportunity is sort of interesting. There aren't too many enemies that don't hit you at all, but there's the chance that you draw an enemy and for whatever reason someone else says they're going to fight with it. So you just put your your actions on borrowed time. Or maybe you're just waiting for a card to arrive or someone to come and give you, I don't know, an encyclopedia boost for your fighting or, or something like that. If you have borrowed time in play, it means... You never have a situation as a rogue where you just forfeit your actions because there's nothing you can do. You can always put them on borrowed time and you'll get them back the following turn. So yeah, I like it. It'll also be interesting to see how often you roll at putting three actions every turn back into borrowed time because at that point you're actually not really getting anything for those actions. You may as well have not invested in borrowed time and spent the action playing it because all you're doing is spending three actions to get three clicks which the following turn you then spend again to get the clicks. So what I think is going to happen is that there's going to be more of an ebb and flow to it. So perhaps you have a turn where you play Ace in the Hole and you have six actions, and you use four of them, and one of them is your big succeed by two test where you throw in quick thinkings, maybe a double or nothing, get a bunch of actions back, start rebuilding your hand, whatever else it is, but you've got some spare actions, you've maybe done things more efficiently than you thought you would, or that big attack landed, and anyway, it's it's freed you up a bit. So then you invest back into borrowed time, and you sort of ride this wave, put in the time, put in the time, put in the time, okay, now is a clutch turn, I need all of those actions, and you, you then cash out. I want to spend a bit more time working out how that works as a pattern and as a play style it obviously means you have to find the card and play it and it's only ever going to be a one of in your deck at the moment we've got no way of searching for rituals so there's that challenge as well with those icons does Seth like it because she just finds it in her opening hand and gets it down like potentially and she's just super flexible and can turn her hand to all sorts of things and be useful yeah so that's nice and the next card is also rogue and it is a skill Oh my goodness, this is a 5xp skill card. Have we ever seen a 5xp skill card? Oh, Seal of the Elder Sign. We have. This is called All In. 5xp skill, two wild icons. So unexpected courage, but it better be better than that if you're paying 5xp for it. It's fortune traded, max one committed per skill test. If this test is successful, draw one card for each point you succeeded by to a maximum of five. (laughs) Shuffle each weakness drawn by this effect back into your deck without resolving it. Wow, card draw that's better than Seeker. Incredible. Wow, 5xp is so much though. You really for 5xp want to be getting five cards out of it. So you commit it to your (laughs) lockpicks test when you've just been wiped out by Amnesia and this is the only thing you've kept. And you're already however many up over the target threshold and you get to give it a plus two and then you draw a minus two or a minus four even. You're so high with lockpicks, you still draw four cards. This is amazing. What a great piece of the puzzle for rogues who want ways of rebuilding their hand because they've chucked everything into their succeed by two. It's got two icons to get you up to that threshold, which is really nice. And it's draw that's predicated on taking a skill test which is precisely what the Succeed by Two mechanic is all about, finding the tests you want to take that you hugely overcommit to for huge bonuses. Oh shit, double or nothing doubles the success. 
So you draw 10 cards if you double or nothing it. Man, this is the double or nothing pack. My head. You draw a third of your deck if you do that. And the the main risk of drawing your deck, hitting weaknesses, is completely ignored. Ugh. Immense. Okay. Uh, I'm resigning. That's, that's me done. That's, my brain hurts now. Okay, now we're on to Mystic. So, like, if you thought things had got crazy, now they're going to get crazy. The next card is Shards of the Void. It looks... This is the magician putting spells on you, as mentioned by Vicky. Uh, this is a three-cost asset, three XP, willpower and combat icons. So, like, Shriveling. It's a spell, also like Shriveling. Takes up the arcane slot, like Shriveling. Seal, zero. Ah, uses three charges. Wow, cool. Seal and uses. Action, spend a charge, or release a chaos token sealed here. Fight, this attack uses willpower instead of combat, and deals plus one damage. You get plus two for this attack for each zero token sealed on Shards of the Void. For each zero token revealed during this attack, seal that token on Shards of the Void, and this attack deals one additional damage. Oh, wow, that last clause, I was like, wow, this is just shriveling. So you seal a zero on, use a charge pop your grotesque statue and go fishing for another zero. And if you hit another zero, you've had plus two willpower for the attack, you do two damage, you get an extra damage, and you then seal another zero. So then you've got two zeros sealed on it. The next time you attack, you spend a zero from the card because you want to get the zeros back in the bag to then keep resealing them to get the extra damage. So all of those times that you can olive, see multiple tokens. Mm. Does Jim... He just treats the modifiers on skulls as zero, doesn't he? He doesn't treat them as zero. Yeah, it's treat the modifier on skulls as zero, so that doesn't work for him. Wow, I love this card as well. This is batty. All of those useful seals kick in. If you've also protective incantationed and Chthonian stoned and taken other tokens out of the bag, the likelihood of hitting zeros is higher, so you've got a chance for turning this into three damage hits. It's great. What a cool card. Really good. If you've premonitioned as well, and you see that there's a zero coming up, you choose to use this rather than your shriveling, or this rather than whatever other attack you were going to do, because you get that zero and it's a three damage hit. Love it. Amazing. And next is Seal of the Seventh Sign. <gasps> what is that? Oh, there's a scary guy back there. Over the Threshold and Beyond. A four-cost asset, five XP, willpower and wild icons, spell and ritual. <gasps> seal tentacle uses seven charges if seal of the seventh sign has no charges or if it leaves play remove it from the game oh my goodness forced after a skull cultist tablet or elder thing token is revealed during any skill test remove one charge from seal of the seventh sign arcane slot wow when we found out about seal i was so sure that they would never seal the auto fail. That's one of the constants of this game, that there's always a chance of failure, no matter how high above the test you go. But this, oh, it's 5 XP as well. Mateo can start with it. Ah, wow. He can cancel. Well, so you just have, you have seven chances of hitting other tokens. And once that happens, the auto fail goes back in. Four cost as well. It's a hefty cost. It's a spell, so you can uncage the soul to play it. Takes up a slot. 
So you probably don't play this solo where you're relying on your arcane slots to cover all your bases, or you play it solo with an investigator who either can fight non-arcanely or can investigate non-arcanely. But it sits there, it just gives you this... It, I mean, potentially it's not just seven tests as well. It's It could be the whole game and you could lose no charges from it if you get it down early and never see any of those tokens. If you're playing a seal style, you could lock down two or three of those other tokens and that means the chance for the rest of your group is so high that you're going to be all right yeah if you're control gym and you put this down in a protective incantation and a chthonian stone that's three tokens that you've sealed one of them the auto fail oh absolutely mad absolutely mad love it and that's mystic done we're on to survivor the first survivor card is a zero XP card. It's a one cost event. Impromptu barrier. Tactic and improvised. You may play impromptu barrier from your discard pile. If you do, shuffle it into your deck after resolving its effects. Evade. The chosen enemy gets minus one evade for this evasion attempt. If you played impromptu barrier from your discard pile, you may evade an additional enemy at the same location with evade X or lower. X is the amount you succeeded by. Huh. Okay. So pay one to lower the evade by one on an enemy is fine. Some survivors like that more than others. And that looks like that could be Rita Young, the athlete on the card. Maybe that's a hint of what's to come as well. Who knows? That in itself is fine. It's much the same as improvised weapon or winging it. You know, Paying one for a minus one is okay with a card. It's fine. Playing it from the discard pile, this is probably the weirdest one to play from the discard pile because it's so much more conditional about the effect that you're going to get. It's great that you can evade an enemy that's not engaged with you. It's great if you're using it to evade the tricky enemy and you're Wendy or another high agility person who can use this. So you're evading your hard agility person and then if you succeed by a decent amount, you evade someone with a lower test value. But realistically speaking... You're going to have to succeed by two just to evade something with a difficulty two also at your location, which, I mean, that in itself can be quite a big ask. If you're trying to evade something with evade value of three or four, you're having to smash your test to do that. Unless you're playing this in Finn and you're committing all in, watch this, and, you know, just going crazy on it and passing your evasion by a, a disgusting amount and getting another evasion out of it, maybe. That's nice. I mean, I think Wendy potentially likes this as a as an optional making evades easier. And maybe if you're getting mobbed by enemies, this is useful that you play something a little bit cunning. If you can drop one enemy's evade down to two or one, you can maybe pass by quite a lot. And then you'd get rid of a trickier enemy to evade. Yeah, it's, it's sort of okay i think i'd like to see a deck that maybe uses all of the improvised cards and really makes them sing and i i don't know if i've seen that deck yet i'll keep thinking about it and the last card is alter fate it's a one cost event three xp with one wild icon it's spell and blessed so mateo can take it and i think marie can take it as well and it's fast play during any free triggered player window choose and discard from player non-weakness treachery that's not attached to an elite enemy and it says, we make our own fate, which is our only flavour in the entire pack. Man, the flavour people have been slacking. 
Is it any good paying one to discard a non-weakness treachery that's not attached to an elite enemy? So you pay one to discard Beyond the Veil. You pay one to discard Frozen in Fear. You pay one to discard someone else's dissonant voices, allowing them to play assets and events for that turn if they were really needing to do that. All of those are good. You pay one to get rid of... Is it snakeskin that blanks someone's items for the turn? It's kind of nice. You pay one to discard a locked door or an overgrowth. They're kind of nice too. Pay one to get rid of nobody's home, which is like so annoying in Threads of Fate. Okay, I'm starting to to come round to it. Pay one to get rid of Obscuring Fog, maybe? I mean, depends who you're playing as and if you need to. Well, and maybe if you're playing as Calvin with this, there might be times where you're getting locked out of a location and you need to take a bunch of horror just to be able to get through it. And this could then be quite useful to discard from play a non-weakness treachery. Also worth noting, I think that's a tarot card in the art. And I think we know that there's going to be a tarot card called the Tower. And it'll be really interesting to see if this, again, is a hint of what's to come. The tarot feature ahead. Time shall tell, I guess. Wow, that's the pack. I mean, all the way back there with Kerosene, the flame theme for Guardians, Kerosene and Flamethrower, and then narcotic manuscripts. Everyone got a decent 5 XP card, I would say. Yeah, and I'm just so excited about Shards of the Void and Seal of the Seventh Sign. They, to me, are two cards that could really force their way into Mystic decks, I would say, as interesting yeah i wasn't i wasn't doing a challenge that i didn't say that word but yeah as genuinely interesting contenders to fit into to those spots narcotic manuscript is fascinating because it shows us a way of avoiding skill tests sneaking out of what used to be the domain of survivors so that's really cool and all in is just juicy af yeah go back to that as just a bananas card draw card for rogues love it yeah Oh, I didn't even think when I was talking about it, if you commit it to a Chicago typewriter blast where you've done your six actions from borrowed time and you're plus 12 to the test, plus 14 with all in, and someone's seal of the Elder Sign for you, so there's no way you're drawing tentacle. Love it. Well, I hope you've enjoyed this episode. Forgotten Age now draws to a close. I'm really looking forward to seeing what Shattered Eons has in store. We've got loads of different things lined up for the podcast in the next few weeks. We've both been super busy, so I'm sorry if it's been a little bit less communicative from us. Do let us know on all of the normal places what you thought of this episode, what you thought of the cards, and yeah, thanks very much for listening. Bye! Frank can always cut bits out of it as well. So I'll just start now. Yeah, just make sure it's like speak at a normal volume. Okay. You are listening to Drawn to the Flame, a podcast for fans of Arkham Horror, the card game. I'm your host, Vicky, and this is my first look of Shattered uh, I have no idea how to start Shattered Eons. <laughs> okay. Maybe start again. Okay. Eons, yes. Eons. Okay. A bit like Ian. You are listening to Drawn to the Flame, a podcast for fans of Arkham Horror, the card game. I'm your host, Vicky, and this is my first look of Shattered Eons, the sixth mythos... <laughs> Frank said this was a tongue twister. The sixth myth... I can't even do it. The, the sixth, sixth mythos, mythos pack of the Forgotten Age cycle. Okay, third time lucky. This is all going in the blooper, you know. Well, you're going to have to stop laughing because you can't...